If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. I'm going to introduce you today to Meredith Chapman. Meredith's had a lifetime of horses. She breeds quarter horses crossed with Australian stock horses. Her area of expertise is in horse safety and risk management, where she's looking at the prevention of accidents to reduce injury in the horse industry. How did it go with that, Meredith? Did I explain it pretty much? Yes, spot on. That's me. (laughs) Good, good. Meredith, we normally start off with a quote. Have you got one for us, a favourite quote? Yeah, I haven't got one. I have two. <laughs> Perfect. Go on. Yeah. So, they, uh, life is about making a difference and mm-hmm. potentially leave Philip left a legacy for people to follow. And the other one is two thirds planning and one third doing makes life easier. All right. Now, tell me about the making a difference and the two-thirds planning, one-third doing. Was it a particular time that you thought of that or is it just an ongoing philosophy? Tell me about each of them separately. Okay. Making a different difference is my life philosophy. If little things, uh, experiences, mistakes in life that I've made and I can, um, you know, I've made a change and rectified it for the better, well, I want to be able to influence people and take that journey as well. Mm-hmm. The two-thirds planning and one-third doing, essentially that started with my working career as a health and safety expert and potentially I've learnt from, you know, accident investigation and working in industry that if you plan things, take more time in planning, normally works better at the end and I found that a lot in a lot of incident analysis. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, it's probably something that we can learn too, you know, about the planning and and better time management too if you plan first. Absolutely. Mm. Don't have to do things twice. Yes, yes, or do them wrong and have sometimes you have to go back, fix them up and then do them again. It can take three times as long. Absolutely. Okay, Meredith, now tell us about your very first memory with horses. What was that? How did you start with horses? Okay, basically I'm an only child and my parents adopted me when they were in their late 30s and for some reason, I was born with this innate interest in horses. And my father said to me, when you can reach the door handle, I'll buy you a horse, Mary. Well, he thought I was going to be nine or ten, but I actually reached the door handle at five years of age. So we had to travel around Victoria and find a little skewball pony called Bo Peep. And uh, she was my first pony at five years of age. I've never heard, well, I haven't heard of anyone yet saying as soon as you reach the door handle. It's almost like going on one of those rides, isn't it? You know, you've got to be a certain height to be able to go on the ride. Yeah, that's my non-horsey parents. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, going from, you know, going round and, and finding your pony to having a career with horses, was there something you did in between? What, you know, what, tell me a little bit about that journey. Like I said, because I was an only child, I spent a lot of time 
with my pony, you know, every waking hour. And when I'd come home from school, all I did was be with the pony. And then as I learned to ride a bit more, I got another horse and I spent weekends and every waking hour again. And Mm -hmm. I just loved the horses. And I was very fortunate in my early 20s to purchase a beautiful stock horse colt called Kirkby Stud Wallaroo. And he was only a yearling. And uh, once I started showing him, I had some lots of successes with him and did very well in all sorts of disciplines, whether it was camp drafting, dressage, hacking, uh, all of those types of events. Fortunate enough, he took me to winning like Prince of Wales trophies and Ashlar Lady Riders and camp drafts and and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I was very fortunate to have a beautiful stallion and it just really kept going from there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good that you had enough experience then to be able to have a cult to then go on and keep it as a stallion. Yeah, well, yeah. I always seem to have an affinity with the cult, and like this horse in particular, he, you know, he would lie down, he'd bow. I could ride him without a bridle, and mm-hmm. camp draft him similarly without a bridle. Yep. We just had that beautiful connection. Now, for people working in the horse industry, for if they're just getting started to work in the horse industry, what do you think they need as core skills or character traits? Well, put yourself first as far as safety mm-hmm. before any horse, any animal. That's yep. my number one, that they need to preserve their own life. That's mm-hmm. more important than the animal. Uh, attention to detail and, you know, specifically around, you know, how you close a gate, you know, how you tie a horse up, attention to detail is critical, and listen, you know, put your ears on when someone's telling you something. Listen to the conversation and the direction, and be aware of the horse's cues and behaviours, what it's trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think then, you know, working in the horse industry, from someone who's working in the horse industry, is the best thing about working in the horse industry? You meet lots of nice people. I've got lifelong friends out of the horse industry. There's lots of opportunity and variety. It's a skill that you can just continue to learn and, and it's there's so many disciplines and it, you, males and females can achieve. So it's a really nice environment. It may not pay as well as some others, but certainly, yeah, you, you meet a lot of beautiful people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and of those people, what about who's influenced you or is, is there someone that stands out that's influenced you? And I'm thinking about influence you in, you know, making career decisions and sort of teaching you and helping you along your journey that way. One of them early up in my horse career um, was a Stockholm guide did a lot of clinics called Steve Brady, mm-hmm. and he's a stock horse coach. And, yeah, just his methods and the way he trains a horse, um, a lot his softness and the way he works with the horse, not against the horse. He has some really good soft methods and I think a lot of that's coming out today in many coaches uh, realising that, you know, you need to work with the horse and, and listen to it, what it's telling you and take the time that it's needed. So Steve Brady certainly was um, one of the influences. But then, you know, as you live um, and, and around the stock horse around, there's lots of people there and it's just a matter of, around the campfire and listening to what they're going to say. And what about horses? Because you talked before about Kirkby Park Wallaroo. Is he the main one who's influenced you? Oh, Kirkby Stud, sorry. Is he the main one that's influenced you? 
Well, he was my stallion, but then I bred a, I purchased a young mare, uh, Ivanhoe Manaquin, from a breeder in northern New South Wales. And I also had the, a lot of success with her. She was a, a beautiful little mare that, likewise, I could camp draft, hack, show in ledge. She won national level, you know, competition. Mm-hmm. Just having a, a really good type, and it was really both, so both of those two that influenced my interest in breeding. Yeah, yeah, because you do that breed now, you know, where you're crossing quarter horses and stock horses, aren't you? Yeah, so when I lost Wallaroo, I lost him at 16 years of age. Mm -hmm. I then looked to purchase another stallion because by that time I had about 18 brood mares and I looked then at looking at crossing the best of the quarter horse world with the best of the stock horse Mm -hmm. bloodline. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I bought a box freckle oak stallion whom I still have today and he's still breeding and Ebony's about 20 20 years of age now. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, because uh, I know you were, you had Wallaroo early and you were competing quite a lot, what do you think your proudest moment is or has been? Uh, my proudest moment with my horse was, look, he took me to a lot of national titles and wins. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I even did photography modelling with him. You know, he was a beautiful horse to do ads and model it photographs with. But I think the proudest moment for me was when I was in a St Ives show in Sydney one year and I took the bridle off him to go out for Supreme Ridden and taking the bridle off in the middle of a, you know, a quite a strong hack show mm. and then working him and doing one-time changes and flies and just doing everything that a hack with a bridle on would do. I felt very, very proud. <laughs> I bet you um, had a lot of oohs and ahs from the spectators as well. Well, then to bow to the crowd and, and yeah. thank them for, you know, their applause was beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's good. And what about, you know, you would have had a lot of ups and downs. What about challenges along your way? What do you think there? Look, I did a lot of this work on my own because, as I said, my parents, you know, didn't know anything about horses. And, you know, I didn't work in the best of yards. I never had the best facilities. You know, I, many of I prepared my horses to go to Adelaide Royal out of a chook pen, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I just didn't have the support or the money to have beautiful yards and stables. So pretty much having, you know, good facilities I've never had. And, I, you know, I wouldn't have the best trailer. I'd turn up with, you know, a bit of paint off and whatever, but I'd pull the horse off and I knew every time, most of the time, I'd, I'd be there with the ribbon somewhere. Yep. So, yeah. Not having the best in equipment. So what's the lesson you learned then? Because you've sort of gone up and competed against the best and, you know, been the best within that area. But what lesson have you learned or what have you learned by getting by with not the money and the support and the facilities? Because it hasn't stopped you. It's just, you know, just made it that you've had to work around it. So how do you work around not having money and support and facilities? I don't go out there. Well, when I was competing, it wasn't about the winning and getting the ribbon. Mm -hmm. For me, it was about putting the effort in with my horse and the preparation and going out regardless of who I was riding against and achieving you know, that flying change on the day for me and my horse or just being there and competing and be happy with how my horse went. It wasn't about the yep. winning. That kind of flowed on because I had the connection. So that was how I how I felt about it. Okay. Okay. Good. So putting the time in, getting the connection, connection with your horse, I presume. 
two thirds planning and one third doing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm thinking about the work you're doing, you know, within the horse industry in horse safety, risk management and looking at prevention of accidents in the horse industry because you've done a master's and you're in the process of doing a PhD in that area. Is that right? Yes, that is my research yep. topic. Yeah, well, it's about that. So what I want you to do is think about a common fault you see with handlers handling their horses, you know, thinking along the way of safety, like an unsafe practice, but then how it can be fixed as well. I think one of the common practices with handling horses is that we, like I said, we don't read their expressions, we don't read them, we're too Mm -hmm. quick, too busy to get on their back and get to the end result. Uh, Horses need time and every horse is different, so... You know, reading the horse's individual cues and what I was trying to tell you is really, really important. We can have the same training methods, but it's not necessarily going to work for every horse when you're handling it. So, you know, I think, as far as, you know, when you're going in and approaching a horse in the yard, it's turning its bum on you. Well, you you don't want that. You want to work with that horse to get it to face you up and, and, and come towards you. Not every horse is going to understand that immediately. But again, I think we, we rush things too quickly. Mm-hmm. And certainly at my age, you know, I have broken a number of horses in when I was younger. And even now, I've probably last five years, I started to break in another horse and completed that. And, you know, I just worked out then that the more time I took on the ground, the easier it was for me when I got on top to get that horse to understand what I was asking. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. I think that's probably something that a lot of people can just take away too, you know, about the more time you spend on the ground, the easier it is when you are on top. Yeah. Now, Meredith, what are you looking forward to at the moment? Well, my life at the moment, study, work, work, study. (laughs) (laughs) And in there, I look after my 95-year-old father as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to this year because I've been able to position myself within my work because I still work with industry and safety to have more time to now complete my PhD as well as every day I've been riding this week so this year 2018 is going to kick some goals for me whilst I'm working with my horses daily I can apply it within my research and hopefully that will you know help me with my research to to understand and and put it in layman's terms my findings Mm -hmm. about horses Mm -hmm. and safety and improve just not so goals that you're kicking for yourself, but they're goals for the horse industry as well, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Like the only yeah. reason I'm doing my PhD is because I see there's a deficit within the equestrian industry, unlike mining and construction and transport that's regulated. I, I would like to see some safety standards adopted and implemented and, you know, that, that can be relied upon. Yep. We can't take everything away, the dangerous nature of horses but we can certainly improve a lot that's what I'm hoping to do this year. 
All right. Now, a book. If you've got a book or something, because I know you've got another resource that you'd like to recommend, not necessarily a book, but one that we can certainly put a link to on our website so people can download, if you want to talk about, about that. Yeah. And look, I read a lot of journal articles because as an academic, that's what you've got to compare and base information on. But last year, I was involved with the New South Wales Code of Practice with the Safe Work, the Code of Practice that's been released uh, called Managing Risks When Your Inexperienced Riders or Handlers Interact with Horses in the Workplace, released in February 2017, not just because I was involved with it, but it's really good information for any person that works within the industry and mm. to understand your obligations from a legal perspective because that's one of the areas that I think a lot of people in business don't realise that they're no different to BHB billet and they have obligations. All the local, you know, BP service station, they fall mm. under the same mm. legislation, the workplace legislation. So I couldn't highly recommend you know, anything other than that. And it's got some good appendices in it to help you run your business as well. Okay. And even if you don't have a business in New South Wales or even Australia, it's still going to be good reading for um, just, yeah, good reading, isn't it? Good reading, good basic knowledge. Great application for mum and dad who know nothing about horses like my mum and dad and, and they can actually have a read and understand the risks associated with horses. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Now, if you can just sum up your philosophy into a lesson for our listeners, what would you like to say before we say goodbye? Yeah. Look, I think for me, it's think about what if I do this better and more safely. Mm -hmm. Take, you know, take five or two minutes or five minutes to think about what if I do this better instead of if only I had done this more safely. Yeah that after effect, if something has gone wrong, you go, you know what, I really knew I shouldn't have done that, but I did. So at what if, if only I had done it. Mm-hmm. Certainly something to think about, you know, and I'm sure that we all think about that in hindsight, but if we think about it in foresight, it's going to be a lot better. Meredith, how can people contact you? A couple of ways. I have a health and safety business called Safety In Focus. People can Google that. I also have two Facebook pages, one called Talking About Equine Safety. That's just where I generally put up safety information. And I also have a stud page called Waymere Stud, and that's a Facebook page and also a website. So there's a few different options for people to, to make contact. All right, and those contact details will be available as well on horsechats.com slash Meredith Chapman or you can just go to horsechats.com and search for Meredith. Meredith, thanks very much. I think the the work that you're doing in horse safety, risk management and accident prevention is invaluable. I think it's a help to the whole industry. So hopefully people can get something out of this interview and particularly looking forward and preventing the accidents rather than thinking about if only I had. Absolutely. Thank you, Glennon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, 
or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.